Well, hello, ladies and ladies and gentlemen, and happy Halloween. It's a little over. It's a big, it was a big Halloween weekend around here at our house. And then, of course, today is the biggest Halloween of them all, the biggest trick-or-treat of them all. It's Election Day. That's the day that I'm speaking to you from. And uh, I don't know where you are hearing this, but uh, it, is a, it is a good day. This is episode 120, ladies and ladies and gentlemen, of the Jake This of Jake Johansson podcasts. I'm me. You knew that. I tell you, though, I like to tell. I like counting. I like numbers. And I like telling you. I don't wash my hands as much as a lot of people with those type of problems do. But uh, I do. I, I do maintain i think pretty pretty good hygiene i will eat off the floor if i drop something on the floor i'll pick it up and eat it though keeps it real you know what i mean just in case of the zombie apocalypse hey this week's episode is brought to you by me they all are they're all brought to you by me guess what my special is just about to come out online so i'm hoping that that's going to be uh announced soon um, you can always check jakethis.com where you can find out where I'm going to be. Oh, these transitions are getting smoother and smoother. So this week, election week, November 6th through 8th, I'll be in Denver at the Comedy Works in Lodo, lower downtown. Then the next week, November 13th to 15th, I'll be in the Comedy Works in Albany, New York. I've never been there. I'm looking forward to it. Then guess what? November 29th, I'm going to be at the Improv in Hollywood, California, one night only, November 29th, so check that out. I haven't posted that on my site, but I know that. It's in my brain, ladies and gentlemen, and I want it in your brain, and I would like you to report to that comedy club. I'd like you to report to their website and buy a ticket right now, if you can, if you live in Southern California, if you live in L.A., let's face it, if, you, if you're if you in that Melrose neighborhood of the improv, could you please come to that show? Um, December 4 and 5, I'll be at the Zanies in Chicago on Wells Street. December 6th, I'll be at the Zanies in Rosemont out by the airport as I get ready to blast off. For my December 17th show in Oklahoma City at the Oklahoma Contemporary Arts Center. I'm a contemporary artist, ladies and gentlemen. I'll have you know that. Of course, you already did know that, or you wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't believe in my contemporary reality. I'm also corporeal, which means I'm real. I have a body. I think that's what it means. I don't know. Do you think I have time to look these things up? Half the time I just say them, and then I think about them later. And uh, then December 18th to 20th, I'll be in Boston at Laugh Boston. Please come out to that. It's been a long time since I've been to Boston. I know I say please. I say please and I say thank you, but I mean it. Could you come out to that show? That would be awesome. And I would really appreciate it. Uh, Okay, so those are my upcoming gigs. My guest this week is Mike Kaplan, M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N. You can Google him. And then I am on his website right now while I'm talking to you, and I can see that you can see him on Letterman. He's wearing a blue suit. I think I've seen that appearance. It was great. Mike and I, here's, do you want to talk about the Internet for a minute, ladies and ladies and gentlemen? Because you're on the Internet, or you did. You had to go there. You had to touch it. You had to tickle the Internet in order to receive this. Um, 
You want to talk about the Internet. So I'm listening to my friend, Todd Barry. I haven't seen him in a long time, but I would I would call him a friend. We don't know each other that well. But we did do a fun comedy festival in Ireland years ago. And I was listening to his podcast, and he had this guy, Mike Kaplan. And he was very interesting, so I looked him up. Next thing you know, I decided to follow him on Twitter because I looked at his Twitter, and it was funny. And so I followed him on Twitter. Then he saw that I followed him, and he said hello. And I said hello back. Then, guess what? He's in Los Angeles. I think I might have even left out a couple of things here. He's in Los Angeles, and uh, he invites me to be on his podcast. I had already met the people who his podcast is part of the Keith and the Girl Network, and I had met them at L.A. PodFest. But then I was on Mike's podcast. We got to be friends. We said we were going to be friends. I called him up on the phone, though, one time, and I think I... I might have surprised him. We talk about that a little bit in here in this episode. And uh, so then he was coming back back to town. He texted me. I said, hey, why don't you come over and be on my podcast? And so he did. And so he did. He squeezed me into his busy schedule. When when you're not in the place that you usually are, you tend to be busier than you are when you are in the place that you usually are. I don't know if that's true for me, for you, but it, I do know it's true for me. I almost said I don't know if it's true for me, but I'm really the only person I know that it's true for. And at least it seemed that way from looking at Mike's schedule from the outside. Anyway, so he stopped over. We had this conversation. We squeezed it in in the afternoon, and I was in charge of keeping an eye on my daughter and her friend while they were playing. And so there were a couple of interruptions when people showed up. They're very brief. I think you can handle it, but I'm just explaining it to you ahead of time. This is not a spoiler alert or a, or a, or a warning. I'm, trying, I'm not trying to get you to not listen to this. I'm trying to tell you a secret about something that's going to happen later. So when it happens, you go, I knew that was going to happen because I was listening to him from before. A lot of people, they just jump right into the middle of these, and then they don't know what the hell's going on. Like, this is weird, but not to you. Not to you, listener. Anyway, thank you for listening. Don't forget, uh, well, I suppose you've already voted by now, but I hope you did vote. I hope I hope you exercised your right to vote. Jesus, Jiminy. There was a lot of homework involved in voting this year. I had to look at the book with my wife, and I think we figured it out. Anyway, it's Mike Kaplan, everybody. Check him out. Google him. Listen to him here. Not in that order. Do it. Do, listen, listen to this. Then Google him. Then go see him live and tell him I said hi. Just, uh, yeah. Okay, beauty. So, Mike Kaplan. Jake Johansson. Thanks for coming and being on my podcast at my house. Uh, much appreciated. I'm happy to be here. Lovely home. Thanks for the hospitality. Yeah, well, I was really excited to get your um, text and to know that you were in town because I called you on the phone. Yes. As we have our new friendship based yep. on the fact that we are internet friends and both comedians and I have been on your podcast. Yeah, and it wasn't clear up until that phone call whether you know because i sort of have a you know i i don't know i want to say like a reverence for like you are a comedy you are you are more experienced in comedy you have been you know alive and in comedy longer than i have so i didn't want to assume that you know you there could be a person this isn't who you are but a, a person could be like oh yeah call, call me you know and then i call you and like oh i didn't actually intend i just wanted to say no, call no, me yeah, don't yeah. really call, don't really yeah. when i say oh, call no. me i don't no. mean i don't mean on the phone i don't mean call me that means goodbye you mean, do you have any, can you, what can you do? Like, why, why are you calling me? Or I meant call me a nice guy when yeah. you're talking to friends about me, but oh, don't yeah. call me on the phone. Let them know. Well, I kind of <laughs> felt weird because I thought I had called you and maybe surprised you because I had heard you on this other podcast. And so I wanted to talk to you about that. And then I, I kind of felt like, oh, maybe 
I shouldn't have. Maybe I should have emailed or texted first. I I'm not. Uh, I love phone calls, especially. I think I I remember I was on the phone with another a friend who I speak to regularly uh, when your call came in, and I was like, ooh, like I was I was pleasantly I was surprised, but pleasantly. It was your friend Zach Sherman. That's correct. Yeah, uh, Sherwin. I don't know. If Sherwin. He's, sorry, yes, not a problem. No, it's a a common mistake. Uh, mistake. Oh uh, yeah, that's like a mistake, but with a W, like Sherwin to Sherman. Okay, got it. That's a thing that you have that I don't fully understand. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Vocabulary, alphabetical. Oh, also, mistake is not a real word. That's uh, just to be clear. I didn't think so. Oh, yeah, you're not, think so. you're not missing any reality. Okay, perfect, perfect. But um, so then I called you about, about that, to talk to you about that, and then I was just thinking about you because I had a friend who was visiting in New Orleans, so I went through the New Orleans music listings. Ah. To recommend things, and I happened to see that you were at the Hi Ho Lounge. I was just there in New Orleans, which is a place. I, New Orleans is a place that I go every year. Oh wow! For a little vacation, so okay. It's one of my favorite places, but I've never worked there. But I have been to the Hi Ho Lounge. Gotcha. Um, to see other things. Yeah, it was a it was a cool little place. They had a, a pop up out back where you could get food. Do you know what that is? I just no. learned. Like, the bar doesn't sell food, but there was, like, menus on the table that were like, hey, if you want this food, go out, like, to their patio. And, like, they have a kitchen on on the campus, but the bar doesn't operate it. Some other, I guess, different businesses maybe come in. And so there was, like, ah, a, a, a small, like, you know, seven things on it taco menu or something. And you could get a taco, then bring it into the bar. Wow. And I, yeah, I was like, hey, do you guys do you have uh, what kind of stuff? And I was, the bartender's like, I don't know anything about the food. You have to. I was like, oh, it's straight. Okay. Got it. I've been to that hi-ho place to see music before, and, they, and I've had them treat me that way about the drinks. Mm-hmm. You know, could, could I get a drink? <laughs> well, look, I'm behind the bar, but I'm not the person <laughs> who gets you drinks. That's like I had that treatment from one person, and I want to say this person was an outlier, an anomaly at, uh, I don't even, oh, the 930 Club in D.C.? Are you familiar? No, I've I never was, been there. I was there for the Benson Ball, like the the TIG uh, curated comedy festival that has happened a number over the past several years. TIG Notaro? TIG Notaro. Has a comedy festival that she curates. I believe that's uh, putting it correctly, uh, that she emailed me and said, hey, can you, are you open this weekend? There's this comedy festival. And then I got an official offer about it. And so I think they just, somebody was like, hey, do you, TIG, help there be a comedy festival. And so she invites people from New York, LA, different places. And this was the first year that I went. And it was, there was an amazing, it was a really fun show and a great time. We went bowling at the White House. Somebody had a connection. Really? At yeah. the White In the basement of the White House? Yes. Technically now, the original one was in the basement of the White House. Now this one is in the, uh, the building right next to the, I think, Eisenhower, like, administrative building where the vice president's office is. And where the... But we did have to get background checks and go through security sure. in order to get in to do that bowling. Two lanes now. There used to be yeah. only one. Yeah. Now it's two lanes. They've increased the lanes when they went into the vice president. Oh yeah, area. and and two lane is actually another place I was performing in uh, Los- in uh, La- Louisiana, L.A. There, the other L.A. Two lane, the, uh, the university. The university. Yes. Oh, so you, were you there doing a university gig, and then you picked up a little yeah, side action? The show I was doing at the university was uh, a good another good friend of mine named Chris Duffy. Uh, is a comedian and a podcast host, a radio show host. It is, it is, as we speak, not yet aired on NPR, but the NPR station in Boston, WBUR, will be airing his show called You're the Expert, 
which is sort of a he's the host and he has on scientists or intellectuals or uh, professors and he has a panel of three comedians who don't know anything about what the person's job is. Oh, perfect. And this then, is now it's I finally I'm qualified. Oh, yeah. Oh, per, it's it's wonderful because you just get to learn. We figure out what they do over the course of the hour and then mm-hmm. ask questions and there's games and, you know, quizzes and riddles. And you if you you're not allowed to do any research in advance, you perfect. Yeah. This is my kind of show. I'll, I'll let them know next yeah, time. I'm going to be in Boston in uh, December. So I, oh. I will do this in a minute. So, yeah, he so he now tours with the show as well we've done you know it's in boston once a month and then it's in new york once a month and then we did one in san francisco this week and we did one at tulane so since we set up the tulane thing uh then we're like hey why don't we do a stand-up show the next night and then also then somebody from hattiesburg mississippi was like hey why don't you uh, come over here the night before and then mobile alabama and pensacola like so i did a whole like you know five or six night run that sounds like fun it was it was a lot of especially it was especially fun because my buddy chris was there with me like i would do it by myself too i would you know have a have a day of driving and then go to a cafe and work or read or write but uh, having a buddy to travel with is a, a real fun thing yeah yeah i and i like the idea of going to non traditional comedy venues. oh yeah that's what i've been trying i'm, th- I'm that's what i'm going to try and do a little more of uh, next year in 2015, I'm going to try and pursue some of those places like where to, uh, Todd Berry goes. You oh know? yeah. I mean, he's doing this tour where I see him online and I listen to his podcast and he talks about where he's going and it really sounds like, boy, that would be, that would be fun. It would be nice to kind of get out of that. Oh yeah. Especially if there, I mean, I'm at a place in my career where some, some cities that I go to, I'm pleasantly surprised at how many people come that know who I am and are there with a purpose. Like, uh, like I just went to like I just went to San Francisco. We did this You're the Expert show, and then we also did just a stand-up show uh, at Doc's Lab, the former Purple Onion, I believe. Uh-huh. And it was like a nice, you know, there's like jazz happens a lot, and then sometimes comedy. And we're like, oh yeah, just come in, and there was some kind of door deal that another a local comic there had set up, mm-hmm. and then we just we you know I, I don't know it wasn't like 100 percent packed, but it was like definitely people there that. Uh, wanted to be there because they knew that it was my comedy show. And so sometimes I go to places that don't have that, and I'm like, I'm happy to be at a comedy club where they'll be like, oh, yeah, people will come to the comedy club. Well, that's that's sort of the old school that I'm from in a way of, you know, you need to – these people are here to have a good time, and so, you know, you want to help them to have a good time no oh, matter yeah. who shows up. But obviously we're all shooting for that to get a room full of people who know you already and then – take them on a, a new kind of journey oh yeah get to be be yourself i was actually this is i, I uh, in my mind i don't know if this is relevant yet but i think it is i'm i'm a musician as well uh like historically uh i knew that and i have a little plastic piano keyboard huh. thing that i was that's in the office that i was gonna have you not a worry maybe play but next time now next time um, i'm more a stringed instrument guy i can i can do some things with a mm-hmm. with a plastic keyboard but i was thinking of writing a song uh, where it's, I, uh, the idea of it is just, uh, the first line is, will you pay me money for this? Like, what about this? What about, just keep adding lines and it's, and eventually it comes to like, I don't care if you're going to get like, I'm just doing it because I want to do it. This is mm-hmm. the way that the song goes. And that's like, you know, the career that we have. 
it is in a way. But talk about it. This you're thinking way too small. Mm-hmm. That I think is a TV show. Oh, oh. Will you pay me <laughs> money for this? It's a great TV show. Okay, well that's the theme song then, I guess. And you can have people on doing the thing that they want to know if they'll pay you money for, and then you say, well, no, I won't pay you money for that, but I will pay you money if you do that while you're standing in a bucket. Oh wow! Of yeah, pudding. It's or sort of like eels. the Kickstarter eels. of game shows. Yeah, well, or, yeah, a Kickstarter or kind of a prank. Well, I there has to be. I feel like nowadays there's too much humiliation in these sort of reality shows. But I feel like just some kind of surreal, silly element that doesn't yeah. get humiliating. I, oh, no, because especially because if you're choosing to do it, like if you know the people who come on, they're like, I want to do this and I want to get paid for it. Like I want to go They're They're not being tricked into doing anything or looking a certain way like they are hopefully fully self-aware of what they're doing. Hopefully, but I mean, when you got somebody who's got to eat a bug or lie down in a coffin full of oh, yeah. snakes, you know, that's I, that, we don't want to do that, do we? Uh, no, no. I mean, I've insinuated myself. Into <laughs> show oh yeah, this yeah. is our show now. Yeah. No, for me, it was just a song a second ago. Uh, but definitely, I. No, I, I mean, I have a, a new bit I'm working on, and it might be, I don't know how you know, extensive it'll be, but that about not enjoying pranks, like, or prank shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I, I think that they are, like, you know, un... Here's the other idea I had for a specific prank show, because I saw one on, like, TV. You don't enjoy yeah. prank shows, but you have an idea for one. Well, here's the... It's, it's a justice-themed prank show, because here's the people who get pranked, is people who would prank other people so mm-hmm. there's like several levels of it's sort of like the inception of prank shows uh-huh because i saw a show where they like one of the pranks was they get, got a guy they hired a guy to drive a van and the prank was fake cops pulled him over you know people who were actors so he's not mm-hmm. actually in trouble but he doesn't know that he's terrified he's getting pulled over they find marijuana in the van they find fake marijuana so he's ne- he's like oh that's not it's not mine but like well you're it's a large amount so he now for a little while thinks that he's going to jail for a long time because he's driving he was hired to drive a van that has marijuana in it and so my prank show will be to do that, essentially, maybe not that exact thing, but a thing like that, and then hire additional fake cops to come up and arrest these people for impersonating officers and being like, hey, where are your permits? And then uh, – because I feel like if you're willing to make – to terrify somebody like that, then if anybody deserves to feel like that, it's you. Right. So I want to prank the prankers. It could be the name of the show. It gets – yeah, it gets tricky though to find the pr- who. I'm I'm confused about who's. You know, there's a lot of layers of people getting fooled. Yes. So the original people who are getting pranked, they're are in on it. In on the absolutely. Prank. Yeah. 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 Right. I yeah. See. So no. So nobody is terrified from the get go. Everybody thinks that they are pranking some other people, and some people are, and some people aren't. Well, this is a great idea. This is, this goes along with one of my ideas for a, you know people like to go. It's it's right almost Halloween. Although when this comes out, it'll be just after mm-hmm. Halloween. You know, I had this idea for a scary. You know, you go to the theme park, let's say, and you're going on the. Obviously, you can't do the Pirates of the Caribbean because that's a Disney ride. But you're on the pirate ride. Yep, they don't. Own, they don't own all pirates. Yeah, you yeah, can, they don't own all pirates. Yeah. No, they don't. Yeah. No, they don't. Um, so you're on the pirate ride, but in the middle of the pirate ride, 
some fugitives from justice with guns and oh, yeah. show up and are being chased through and they take someone a hostage. They immediately, they shoot the guy who's in the head, the guide in the head of the boat. They shoot him right in the head and he falls off the boat, but it's a prank. Of they're course. Not, yeah. They're not really doing that. And that guy hasn't really been killed. You're giving people real terror, but you're actually completely terrified that you're involved in this hostage situation. So in this, maybe you get the one, your, your premise was the guy gets the van. He's hired to ride the van. He's going to take it somewhere. Then the cops are going to arrest him with the fake marijuana thing. Yeah. But he panics oh, and yeah. shoots one of the cops who's in on it. Oh, great. And the other fake cop who's not in on it now thinks that he's just witnessed a murder. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. Then the Perfect. next thing you know, uh, everybody's going to jail. Oh, yeah. Real jail. <laughs> Real jail. That's and this is sort of I think I don't know if this is an urban legend, but I believe I heard a story that uh, Conan O'Brien back at Harvard instigated a prank that I don't know how if he went to jail or how he wouldn't have, but the idea was that there was like construction workers working on somewhere of ca- some part of campus. He calls the campus police. And tells them that there's students disguised as construction workers that are fooling around where they shouldn't be. So the campus police goes, sees the construction workers, believing the call that's, oh, these are students. They start getting into a confrontation. Then he calls the real, like, Cambridge police and says, hey, there's people impersonating officers. Uh, and go, the oh, campus officers hassling a real construction crew and then the cops show up. And then there's, like, real cops. Inter- everybody's real, but nobody thinks anybody is real. Oh my God, this Conan is—he's got an active imagination. Yeah, he should. I mean, <laughs> there's a reason that he's successful. But uh, yeah, I can't believe that's—that's that's trouble, boy. When your parents find out that you did that, yep, you're—you got real problems. Hopefully, he had his TV show by then, but uh, probably not. Yeah, I. But that goes back to—I'm just not the the prank those prank shows or the reality shows where people are getting humiliated that's i'm, I'm looking for more of a kind of an honest good oh, yeah. time so that's why on on will you pay money for this uh yeah. people come on and just like it could be just you know a musician it doesn't have to be it could be anything but somebody's like hey here's this song like is this song worth a dollar to you you know anybody who thinks it's worth a dollar please send I think it. it's a great it's a great uh, you know radio show that is then also a live touring show mm. That uh, that then later, after it all comes out, you can watch the video of it. Once you get the budget, then you can produce the video of it. But you could easily do the the audio part, definitely as a as a you know either a radio show or a podcast or whatever. But I would pay money to I I'd buy a ticket to go watch that show. Yeah, you know because it's it's got a it's got a sweetness to it. Will you pay money for this? Yeah, and the, our ticket prices won't be too high. Uh, That's a good question. Now, what do you think is the sweet spot person who is doing these comedy shows on kind of off the kind of grid? Oh, yeah. What's the ticket price of that, those kind of shows? I mean, here's the, the, a weird thing. Like, of the, the five or six shows that I did, you know, some of them were like, you know, I feel like $10 is a normal show for like a, 
certain situation, certain venue. But it depends on the market too. Like I did one one of these things in like Cincinnati. I think maybe it's earlier this year. I had a college on when on Monday night, and then another college on Wednesday night, and. Uh, Cincinnati was right between the two places, mm-hmm. like driving from somewhere in Ohio to Louis, uh, somewhere in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, I found out there's these like local comedy scenes kind of all over the country, like wherever there's, you know, outside of a... Well, that's right. That's the other part of the problem when you're trying to sell a ticket to a thing that everybody... Well, I'm sorry, I can't buy a ticket to your show because I'm also, I'm also doing a show. Yes. Right then. But... There are so there are these helpful people that'll be like I'll hook you into our local you know like uh-huh. you can headline the night at this club this venue where you know we do a thing every Tuesday some of them are special some of them but in Cincinnati they told me I think it was Cincinnati there's like nobody pays for any entertainment like bands comedy like it's all like they're just used to not if you try to charge. Uh, something I'm sure that obviously like you know Louis C.K. goes to a theater there he charges the amount of mm-hmm. money that he does mm-hmm. but like the the smaller scene even I don't know how big it goes because I, I'm sure Cincinnati has do they have a comedy club? Uh, yes, I think they do. So they were. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now look, I don't want to seem like I've got a huge ego. Sure, but I don't leave my house for zero. Oh, that's the thing. They're not. They're not paying nothing. They're charging nothing, but then the bar, like for this bar show that I did on a Tuesday night. Oh, see, so you get paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bands the get paid. Doesn't. Yeah, the, co- the the comedians, like, so the audience comes in. They're ideally you know, optimistic and happy and motivated to be like, oh, we don't have to pay for this. We buy a lot of drinks. You know, they, so they. Well, and respect the show. That's the real problem for me historically when people don't pay to see a show, then they talk. Or they do whatever they want. Oh, yeah. That is – that's the where I came from. Like in, I started in Boston, and there was like a very like strong work ethic of the comedian. Like, hey, you work – you know, you don't do an open mic on a Saturday night. Like Saturday night is for a paying customer to see a show. Yes. And there are all these sort of, you know, guidelines, unspoken sure. you know, rules of the, of the trade. And one of them was, yeah, it, you charge something for if – you're, if you're giving a quality product, you charge something. So you, you keep out the riffraff. You know right. that people are going – even if it's just $5, they're like, I'm giving you – It's got to be $5 because if you just charge – a dollar people go well i'll pay a dollar to just go sit in there and talk through the show and then they feel like now i own it oh yeah I'm allowed to, i paid a dollar to ruin your yes your night but yeah so five dollars you're like ah i'm not gonna do five dollars for in- a goof uh but this for whatever reason it, it worked out fine like they had a nice a nicely curated they were well behaved yeah audience. it was it was a, a really fun show who knew that cincinnati was full of sophisticated cheapskates yeah <laughs> And the bar makes their money and gives you, you know, whatever agreed upon price it is. That yeah, yeah. Oh, that's 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 a nice that's a nice little night. I was hoping the ticket price would be slightly higher than zero. Oh, yeah, no. Well, most of the ones. So one of the places that I did in the Gulf Coast area was like that, uh, and they actually. For that one, they said they, we don't have a guarantee, but they took up. They're like, we always take up donations, and we oh, we generally get about such and such dollar amount, and like I can't promise it. At the door, we take the donations and you get the donations. Yes, correct. Yeah. And they, 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 they send a bucket around a couple times, like, throughout. Then the, the host is on stage saying, like, and now, guys, please, we want, com- we want comedians of this caliber to come back. So, so we want to have a good name here. So please dig deep. And, you know, it's, it's a weird s- thing. I've seen so many music shows in New Orleans in the 20 years I've been going down there that where that's how you pay for the show. I've been to shows where I paid a cover charge and, and then they passed the bucket around. Mm-hmm. But I was always curious about how the bucket worked out. And I would, I would do that pay what you think it's worth or pay what you can afford system if if i 
I'm, I'm not sure that I always believe in it, but uh, that's an interesting way that they fund the show. But definitely, comedy yeah. Show. I'd never oh, heard yeah. a comedy show funded like that. Yeah, no, it's it was the first time that I've experienced that exact thing. But yeah, if there was, you know, there wasn't 100 people at this place, but if there was 100 people and they all gave $5 and it's a Tuesday night, you know, I'm, I'm happy to make $500. That would be $500. On a Tuesday night in a bar, you know. But there would be other people on the show as well, correct? Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. I would give them some money. This is Skyler's. This is my. Anyway, I have to take this phone sure. call. Please stand by, uh, audience. All right. So that was. I just had to make some small arrangements to get my daughter is and her friend sorted. Absolutely. And now I'm back. Um, yeah, my I. When I'm thinking about these alternative venues, it's hard to know what kind of a show you're going to have because I feel like you're operating in sort of a alternative scene, right? Uh, I think – I mean I don't uh, – labels and yeah, it can be useful. I mean that's, yeah. that's really now more – comedy is, comedy is really all one thing now. Yes. And yeah, I mean alternative often I – mean, certainly these are alternative venues, but – that doesn't even mean when sometimes people people think about alternative in like the LA alternative scene, you know, which would have started with you know like Mark Marin and Dana Gould and Kathy Griffin and uh, Janine Garofalo in New York, and you know, there's these, and it was like a stylistic thing initially. It was like, oh, we had our club act, but we're not doing that, you know, like the idea that the the brick wall with the white guy with the you know just homophobia and racism and sexism and and you know stilted jokes, like there's you know so many things associated. Yeah, yeah. Back back in the day, the alternative comedy scene was an alternative to something. But then I think it it really influenced or allowed mainstream comedy to to take a step in another direction. So now it's all part of one oh, yeah. thing. There, it's just you have these more um, maybe higher ticket price shows, and then you have some other shows that are kind of off the beaten path, or you have to know, like the the, the great show here where that's in the back of a comic book. Oh store. yeah, the meltdown. Uh, comics, the Nerd yeah. Melt Theater, yeah. yeah which uh, and obviously there's in New York City there's Whiplash, which is a show at the UCB that it's like a free show, so like they don't charge anybody, and then often you know it's always like packed, and there's always good good comedians who want a good show. It's Monday night at eleven, so it's not like you know a big money you time have to of want to go out. Oh yeah, there at that show, absolutely. Yeah. It's very you know young, uh, friendly, comedy savvy, like people who know the local scene. They know they're excited when you know like my mo- my mother just started hearing of louis ck this past year but like these are <laughs> my mother is never going to understand <laughs> or hear about louis ck she's just off of the grid of that, that i mean may- she may hear about it now because we're talking about him and then she may go online and watch some of his stuff all right because she hears this from time to time but she doesn't have time to listen to all of these podcasts no that makes sense yeah but that's that's great that uh that your mom is that your mom's into Louis C.K. Oh yeah, I mean, she actually my mom goes to a lot of shows uh, when like she when a when a comedian comes to like a theater near her like either she goes mm-hmm. back and forth between New Jersey and Florida she says oh would I enjoy and my mom has a certain sensibility like so if she says would I enjoy Amy Schumer I'm like I don't know if you would uh, but, <laughs> hard to say but and hard so to I, say. I recommended maybe not uh, just because when she reads you know books full of uh, like she reads James Patterson. 
uh, you know, the sort of the beach read novels. Yes. Um, yes. And she reads a, a lot of other things as well. But when she reads those, she's like, she skips over like the very violent parts. Uh, really? Yep. Not her, not her cup of tea. And so the same way I feel like sort of Amy's brand of comedy would all, likewise, the sex version of that violence, not she be She might want to skip over too much. A lot of the act. To yeah. really enjoy it. But she asked me like, should I go see Anthony Jeselnik? And I said, you know, my initial impulse would be to say, maybe you shouldn't. But then I was like, you know, he's not, you know, he's not filthy. He's just, uh, he talks about things that people don't always want to hear about, but, uh, but they're like jokes and she likes jokes. Yes. So yes. I recommended she go and she really enjoyed it. And she liked it. Yeah. And Cameron Esposito was opening and she liked Cameron a lot. Um, and Cameron hosts the show at uh, the UCB out here. So back to the UCB. The point is the people at the show at Whiplash or at UCB here, they're people who have heard about Louis C.K. way before my mom did and who, you know, knew yeah. who Kumail was years ago and, and Hannibal and all, you know, whoever, and Maria Bamford and... Um, Hannibal Buress. Yes. And, uh, Kumail Nanjiani. Yes. That's I knew, but then some people might be listening to this oh, who don't know. Absolutely. I have had people then say to me, oh, I didn't know about you. You've turned me on to some people, as I hope I'm turning them on to you. Much these, appreciated. These people who are listening to this thing, Mike Kaplan, <laughs> and you can listen to him on his podcast, which is... Hang out with me. Yeah. But... Now, back to this. Oh, yeah. So the the idea of alternative comedy, as, I mean, I think it still kind of is like the – there is the club scene, like where, mm-hmm. you know, you go and you pay – but it's sort of a format thing more than the individual – there's comedians. Like you could perform at UCB or Meltdown or the Improv or, you know, any any club or – any venue like the audience would love will enjoy you wherever you are that is very sweet of you to say and it is something that i hope is true because all of those places to me are fun and it is fun to go and perform in all kind of different venues like that yeah you know? and i think we were, we were sort of touching on this that sometimes you know you go out on the road and like some clubs are amazing on the road and some clubs are the stereotype of the comedy club on the road with the condo and the the opening acts that but you know whatever whatever the the negative stereotypes you have like there are negative stereotypes of alternative comedians too that they don't have you know punchlines they just talk about their day and have a beard you know whatever that might be well right right yeah and well i feel like what now what is your feeling as a comedian like what do you owe the audience when they show up or uh, if if anything that's a great that's a great question i mean i do so i would think that there is there are these, certainly these two different expectations like if you're you know if the audience is paying a certain amount of money and well, I guess it depends where you are in your career. If you, you know, if you're, if you're, I mean, you ultimately don't owe anybody anything and then people can choose to book you or not. You know, if you're like, no, I don't, I don't care about anybody then. And if people love that, you know, like, I feel like Stanhope could say Doug Stanhope, uh, one of my favorites, yes. uh, like his audience is made of people who I don't, he probably wouldn't hang out with all those people. I, I've, I, I know Doug a little bit and I've of course watched his Oh, yeah. shows many times on the you know his specials and whatnot but yeah i've heard him talk about walking a room full of pete walk you know having a room full of his fans that have paid to come and see him yes in a venue that is not a comedy club it's all people who are there to see doug stanhope yeah and then more than half of them decide look i tap i'm tapping out yeah you win I have to – I can't. And I think he's the ultimate – I mean, you know, he would he would certainly probably not even say he was an artist. But he's like the ultimate, like, comedians com- – like, in that vein. But that's, a, yeah. but that's a choice. Right. So there are a range of ways that one, as a comedian, whatever we're calling ourselves, artist, can say 
what they feel like they owe the audience. In, yeah. my, in my case, I mean, I feel like, look, you paid to come. I'm going to try my best so that we all laugh and have a great time. Yes. I will say. Can you uh, hold that thought? Absolutely. See, because yes. I think my daughter's friend's mom is here. Well, hello. Hey. <laughs> yeah, so this is a slightly disjointed episode. Right. I was hoping that we would have an uninterrupted conversation in but my sanctum sanctorum. Life life happens. Yeah. So life I th- happens. I think the thing that I was going to say is regarding owing what what the comedian owes the audience. Like I definitely want to I want every audience that I have to enjoy the show. Like I want mm-hmm. them to if they pay money for it, I want them to feel that they got their money's worth or better. You know, I want if it's a free show, I still want them to come away thinking that it was, you know, worth something. Uh and there's there's always shows I think the, you know, the I definitely feel like I owe it to myself to do the best thing that I can, but sometimes the thing that I'm doing is working on new things, you know, depending yeah, whether yeah. there's some shows in New York, like some specific shows where people aren't paying or, if, you know, if it's a bar show or at some clubs where it's like weeknights at a club, like I think sort of the understand, uh, the interesting thing is like there's not necessarily, not everybody understands everything that's going on. Like some people are barked in, some people are tourists, some people are, you know, some people are savvy comedy connoisseurs Yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. get that, you know, or if you're on the, out on the road, maybe your Thursday night show and your Sunday night show will be populated. The audience will be more people who know who you are, know about comedy, care about it more. They're like, oh, I'm not going to go out on the just the date night. Well, it's funny that you say that because I think that those are sometimes the most fun nights because there's not a late show. So the show can be everybody can do a longer, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, You can be a little bit looser because you don't have that time constraint. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you can you can have a little more fun on those nights. So I definitely feel like I mean, and for the shows that I did for that with the week going through the Gulf Coast, like some of the shows that I did, I improvised a lot. Some of them I did like more of. I'm now at a place where I recorded my last my special last year about a year and a half ago, and I have is that available on the internet? It is currently on Netflix. Uh, What's it called? It's called Small Dork and Handsome. Nice. Uh, yeah, I was, I was happy to, I like, I like naming things. Yeah, uh, me too. Me too. I love, I love track. I love naming the tracks on an album. That's one of my yes. favorite parts of. Well, and, the and they're different from, you know, your set list, which if people are listening, they don't know what that is. I don't know how they couldn't now, sure. but your list of what you call your bits to yourself when you're writing a list before you go on to make oh, yeah. a little game plan of the show. That's different than the track names. Oh yeah. The track names for the, you want to do something that represents what what it is that you're talking about and then also is a joke yes definitely for mine i often i have my first two albums i put it was, almost every track name was something and something which would be like just what the track was about but also sort of a you know hopefully humorous juxtaposition of terms like you know brad pitt and divorce or uh, mm-hmm. you know super mario and the fresh prince are those real ones yeah or? i think it's super mario and will smith um and, Do you regret that you didn't say Super Mario and the Fresh Prince? Um, no, because I think the Fresh Prince is part of the punchline. Ah, sorry to it. spoil that, but oh, spoiler yeah. alert! Uh, but I think you can you, you can handle it, everybody. Uh, yeah. You still don't just forget about this. But well, I you know I've only watched your that Letterman 
that I saw, I and I feel like yes, one joke doesn't. You do you you are. There's dense. a few more in You're there. You're dense with jokes and yeah. laughs, laughter. Well, I wouldn't say jokes as much as laughter. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, there's. I definitely try. You know, every joke I feel like I used to just be pretty much one-liners. Like you know, sort of when I started out, just sort of disjointed. Ah, oh, this joke's about a plumber. This joke's about a pizza. And then like at one point, I figured out a joke. Oh, this one's about a pizza eating plumber. And so I would put that in between there. And so then like you know. Chunks would grow and connections mm-hmm. would be found. And now I, I write a little bit differently so that it's, you know, if I have one-liners, I mostly just put those on Twitter. And if I think that they could also fit somewhere in my act, then great. But if not... But I don't think... They, see, that's, that's an old-school comedian maybe concern that I've talked with guys who are from my generation or even after somewhere between the two of us. And they're like, well, why would you put it on Twitter? And then it's, you know, you, you've burned it. You can't use it. And it's just like, look, not even a tenth of the people who are following me on Twitter see every tweet. They're different people. I just started putting jokes on Facebook because I thought that, oh, if you want my jokes, just go to Twitter. But there's people who are like, ah, I don't, I don't go there. Can you just put them here? I'm like, people taking things in so many different ways. I'm trying to do both Facebook and Twitter, and I feel like Facebook might be a nicer place for me, even though I can't completely understand everything. There's too many things that you can do on Facebook. Yes. You know, like I, I, I just want to, I want to say things and then have people respond to the things I said, but I don't necessarily want to read all of the updates about... Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I use it to produce, not to consume very much. Pretty much, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll look at somebody's page who I like, mm-hmm. but, but I mostly just put my stuff there. And then I interact with people who respond to me. Like, I, yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. That's the nice thing about it. Yes. So, oh, so at this point, right now, a year and a half after that special was recorded, I have, you know, an hour at least ready to record, you know, it's, it's constantly being mm-hmm. tweaked and added to, and I'm like, Oh, this, sure. maybe this, this comes out, this goes in. But at some point, I think in the next year I will record again. So right now I have that hour ish. And then I have other stuff that I'm writing. That I'm like, Oh, this is for that. I'll keep doing after that. Like that, this doesn't go with that stuff. Like, um, and your last special tall, dork and handsome, small, bit, well, small, dork, small and handsome, yeah. dork and handsome. Oh, it's close. Small dork and handsome on Netflix. Did you produce that yourself? Uh, New Wave produced it. And New Wave Productions, they've... Who are they? Uh, you know, I guess that's a... There's some people. a bunch of people. They're people. Are they in New York or are they in L.A.? I think they're everywhere. I think it's they... know where they are. They produce a lot of specials, they're I know. They're omnipresent. Oh, yeah. They are... I believe they are also a management company, so they man- mm-hmm. they've managed some people and they produce specials. And they definitely... A lot of their specials get onto Netflix, I know, if not other places first, like I think. Got it. Uh, I think, you know, right before I did mine, I think Gary Goleman had done like a Comedy Central album. Then they produced his special. He filmed at the same place I did at the Wilbur Theater in Boston. That is a nice place. It's wonderful. And uh, and then his went to Comedy Central and then Netflix. Mine went directly to Netflix. Uh, and I'm happy. I'm happy. Just happy for people to be able to see it. It's nice. Yeah. I feel like that is the one. I've been producing them myself. And so my goal is to have the most people see it as possible. At the same time, I would like to 
get back the money that I spent to make it. You want your daughter to go to college. Well, uh, and yes, yeah. of course, I'd love to pay for Ivy League education for her. But, you know, that yeah. that's secondary to just paying for the special. Oh, yeah. Because then you want to do another one because once you generate that next chunk of material, if you don't record it, oh, yeah. you kind of move on. And then all those oh, yeah. funny things will be lost like tears in uh, rain. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that'll keep the name of your next special, like tears in rain. It's uh, from Blade Runner. but uh, Okay. Well, I didn't know, so uh, you no, can, it's okay. you can have that, it. I'm sure that uh, Ray Batty, who's actually played by Rutger Hauer, he they made, he didn't. Obviously, there's a scriptwriter, and he's just the guy who said. Anyway, go ahead. So at this point, I have now you know this hour of mostly you know honed things that the way I've been talking about it recently is when when a joke starts, it's like it's like glass blowing. I don't know if you've ever been or seen glass blowing. I've seen it, but uh, how do you mean? Uh, my summer, my summer camp had glass blowing, so I, I man, where did you go to summer camp? It's a, it was a nice place. It was called Bucks Rock, uh, and where it's in it? Connecticut. Mm. And um, yeah, so they had glass blowing was like one of their major draws. Like they have like they now have like uh, it's arts, performing and creative arts. So they have like theater and dance and music, and they have uh, I taught eventually was a counselor, and I sort of ran some stand up workshops in addition to being a music counselor, but. The way it's like glass blowing is the way glass blowing starts is they have a, a huge furnace full of you know molten glass like you know two thousand degrees I think maybe something very hot and it's like it's liquid the glass is sure. essentially like mm-hmm. you know like molten uh, and you stick this pole in and then you you know get get the glass the liquid glass on it you pull it out and it's sort of like dripping and you have to keep it turning so that it doesn't fall and so that's like the way that a joke idea is to start it's like this almost amorphous thing that could become anything. It's mm-hmm. like one idea. You're like, okay, here it is. Maybe it's going to have different colors in it ultimately. Maybe it's going to be a bowl, a plate. Who knows? Depends how you spin it. Depends where, you know, so you have control over it, but also sometimes you don't. Gravity has effects on it. So eventually uh, you decide, okay, it's a bowl. And then you keep shaping it into a bowl with different tools. You don't touch it directly. But then mm-hmm. eventually you have to, the, if you have, it gets sort of, it cools off and then it gets into a, a solid locked shape, but then you can put it back into this, uh, this war- this heat hole uh, that they call a glory hole. Uh, I don't, I know they, they don't. definitely do. I'm sorry to have to report oh, it, man. but I, I, I learned that was the first glory hole that I learned about. So when I heard the other one, I'm like, Oh, they shouldn't. Uh, oh, well, yeah. One glory hole, very different from the other glory hole. De- you don't want You definitely don't, don't want to do get them mixed up. Not at all. Uh, but so you can put it back in there, heat it up and then it becomes like not, it, not as molten, but still workable so that you can, you know, make little chip, mm-hmm. chip away different parts of it or, still shape it the way that you want it but so and over the course of time in a joke's life uh it you know sort of sets into place you're like oh and now now the wordings that when i first said them oh i know the idea but i say it differently every time to figure out the way that i want to say it and the the way that is most effective or the most efficient and then eventually like now some of these jokes that i wrote a year and a half ago i'm like this is how i like maybe i'll think of a new idea maybe i can add to it but it's pretty much set so then I have a ch- ultimately an hour that is like that. That is not that it's not fun. Like the most fun part is figuring out, you know, the process of getting it there. And then once it's there, I'm like, I'm still, I still have other jokes that I'm writing and I'm excited about. So now when I go out on tour, if, if it's like a big, you know, a show, I'm like, oh, this is a club that I want to be invited back to, that I want the audience to have, you know, it's Saturday night. It's people who aren't mm-hmm. necessarily there to see me. Like the... The potentially tighter the audience is, the better a show, you know, the more polished a show they get. Whereas 
if uh-huh. if they're like there to they're like we're your fans do whatever you want you know like or at some even some clubs are like that like Acme was one of my favorite clubs sure, that I've been too. to a, a number of times in the past years and I, I recorded one of my albums there and even then like I'm doing you know this I know the jokes that I want to do but I allow myself in the moment to oh hey a new idea something happened uh, travel like the best audiences get sort of the the newest shows well. And I think, though, the important thing, and it sounds like you're kind of saying it, but but I think people can misunderstand. Like, not it's not like you make that decision beforehand. You oh make no! That is, you walk out and you go, well, these people are with it, so yeah. I can this expand. I can go on tangents. I yes. can have spontaneous ideas. I don't have to just do the tightest, most choreographed version of what I know works. Because exactly. I'm confident that this audience will go with it and that's one of the things that i always say is if you would like to see a better comedy show laugh harder <laughs> yeah you know the more you laugh the more you laugh the more comfortable the comics become and the more silly things they'll do yeah i definitely i mean i'm i always go in optimistically whatever the situation like you know i feel like i told people i was going to you know pensacola florida and some people are like ooh, you know like it's like it's florida but it's the south and i'm like i've actually had plenty of wonderful times at different places in the South. And ideally, you know, I get enough people that know who I am or, or are like this kind of comedy show or this kind of comedy scene that mm-hmm. come and are like, Oh yeah, we, we like, we did, we dig this. That's not the kind of thing I say, but, um, you just said it. Yeah. I definitely, now it's not the kind of thing I say, but it is the specific thing. It's I now you're allowed to say yep, it. I, yeah. You can say anything you want. Um, and I don't owe it to anybody to not do that. But, uh, so some, some of the places you, I always go in optimistically, no matter what the situation is, no matter what mm-hmm. I've been told. I'm like, this is going to be, you know, great. This is going to be good. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then, you know, little by little, just like with, with the gravity and in the glass blowing situation, like you deal with, oh, so they don't, you didn't enjoy this as much as some other people did. So I won't do as many. I mean, sometimes you're like, well, I want to, I want to find out how this whole hour works on you. Right. Or. Right. Uh, or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be like, oh, what What of my things? You know, I'm not going to make things up specifically. Then I'm like, oh, wait, maybe they'll like this. But, oh, like if I'm at an old folks home, I'm not going to tell my Holocaust jokes. Or uh, if I'm like, oh, have you lived through the Holocaust? I'll leave that one out. You know, That's good advice. That's good advice. Do you play many old folks homes? I, I feel like starting out in Boston, like there was like a guy who booked a 55-plus community. There that were those I, gigs. I performed yeah. at once in a while. And mm-hmm. – uh, and then, or just different parts of the country where, like, oh, this 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 audience is older, older, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so I'm gonna, you know, maybe they won't know the movie The Fast and the Furious. So maybe, even though that movie is getting not old, new. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, my our friend, my friend, I don't say our friend. I talk about him enough. Zach Sherwin. Uh, we were on a show last night together. Oh, I wish I could have gone up to see that. Because oh yeah, it was right in nearby. My yeah. Um, but uh, then he I could have met Zach. Sherwin. Oh yeah, it's still it's still plausible. It's going to happen Sunday night if you want. He does every Sunday at uh, Tex, the French restaurant in Echo Park. There's a show there called French Toast. It's that a- sounds like fun. My oh, yeah. problem, sure, is the being a family. You know, when I'm home, of course, because that's it's here where I live, kind of. Although yeah. I mean, Echo Park. I, I got to go on the road. Oh yeah. my god! It's could. It's probably best case scenario, a forty-five minute drive. At that, I mean, at that time but of on night, Sunday, yeah. yeah, I could probably bust over there forty minutes. Uh, but so the point. Anyway, the I think the reason I brought it up is yeah, last Zach, night. Zach now has a song, a new song. He's a does. He's a comedy rapper. Uh, at which, yeah, of course, makes you feel that way. 
I, w- I didn't yeah. mean that to be oh, no. a feeling. It just was like, man, how how can I not compete? Because I don't feel like I'm in competition with Zach Sherwin, but I I feel like all I can do is talk and say funny things. And here's a guy who can rap, and you can play. You you've got songs. I can, but I mean, in comedy, I mostly just it's mostly talking. Yeah, mostly talking. Um, but his this new song and some of the songs could be. He's actually thinking about. I've encouraged him to try and get on a late night television show with because he does have he talks in between songs. He does have mm-hmm. jokes. You know, he has a Twitter that's not just rap lyrics. It's uh, it's jokes. He mm-hmm. said he calls. I think you know you can have like a little uh, a byline or like a you know a descriptive thing about your Twitter or yourself. Yes. So his is uh, that Twitter. I think it says Twitter is my pun dumpster. Uh, which is, uh, you know, like a glory hole level. Does he have more than one Twitter account? Uh, no, I think he just has the one. Okay, well, that's good, because that was really going to demoralize me if he was like, he's, do, he's, you know, sustaining two Twitter Oh, no, 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 just, just got one. Just the one. But, <sighs> that's uh, a load off my mind. He has a new song about, a song about the song, Are You Down With OPP? Do you remember that song? Wow, yeah. Uh, I mean, that song... Is not new. No. And that the point of this is, I think, my girlfriend is also... My girlfriend is new. Uh, as a person... She's a newer person than me. Uh-huh. She is... I'm 36, and she is 24. Uh, wow. And so we were together, and Zach... Uh, there was a reference to that song came up. Naughty. You're kind of naughty. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> By I nature. I remember being 30... Yeah. Also, not a new song. Uh, they're it's actually the people... That's, group, that's yes. the group who sings that song. Yeah. Got, oh, boy. I can't believe that I helped it, you, you do that. You absolutely did. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. That's my wife's phone. Hold. Um, I don't know how to make it stop doing that. Um, yeah, you did it. There Great. we go. I just unplugged it. And um, I held the microphone right beside it while I unplugged it so that I'm sorry for the, oh. whatever pain that caused <laughs> you, listener. Uh, but part of, the, part of Zach's uh, story about that song is that he realized when... He's friends with my girlfriend. We we were all hanging out when this happened, and she didn't know the song. And he's like, how do you not know that song? And then she was born a year before it came out. It turns out that song is from 1991. Wow. But, uh, so we're, I mean, we're all, you know, we're all moving through life, and... Uh, we are. And we're, a lot of us are trying to have sex with people who are younger than us. I mean, and... I mean, I'm not yeah. saying, I'm not trying to put that on you. No. Because I'm sure that your relationship is based on mutual, you know, you guys enjoy each other's company. We both play the violin. Really? Oh, yeah. Did you meet her at a violin playing thing? No, we met, we met through comedy. She, uh, she was a, she's a fan of many podcasts and comedy and uh-huh. uh, came across my podcast and uh, wrote me a, fa- a letter. And actually, so that was maybe the beginning a of the year. A letter letter or an email? No, an email. She has written me letters since, but this was mm-hmm. an email. I got an email uh, saying that she listened to my podcast uh, and she was a bit. She'd heard me on another podcast, and then found out that I had one. Was very excited uh, because she she said that at the time I was the person who she would most like to have lunch with if she could have lunch with anyone in the world. And wow. since then, she uh, she's allowed to change her. She can ha- want to have lunch with somebody else because we have lunch a lot oh, now. Oh yeah, sure, sure. But uh, but yeah, she also then as she told me she was a violinist, and she took the my podcast as a theme song. Uh, and she re- she arranged the podcast theme song and recorded it on the violin and sent oh, me. Oh yes, I think you told me that. That's possible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so she, so that is a thing that you know it's not necessary, but it's a, a cool coincidence that we both grew up playing have, the violin. And do you, have you? I don't know if this is a 
stupid question, but do you ever play the violin together? It is not a stupid question, and we have, in fact, uh, one almost a week ago, last Saturday, we performed at, we both played at a wedding of a friend of mine. Wow. Because my friend asked me, a friend that I went to the, the, the summer camp with, uh, the, the glass-blowing summer yes, camp. the glass-blowing summer camp. Uh, and she, she is now, uh, it's interesting, she's a friend from there, but also is in show business, uh, in comedy. And uh, not stand up, but uh, she writes for Key and Peel now, um, which is but a very funny are, show. They are. Were, were they stand ups, Key and Peel? I think, I know they were definitely or improv sort of, guys. Yeah, improv I think. Guys. And she was an improv person mm-hmm. with them in Chicago. And uh, she, she knew that I played the violin when we were children together. And she was like, Do you still play the violin? Do you want to play it at my wedding? And I was like, Sure. Also, my girlfriend plays. She's like, Both of you, come on and do it. Without hearing you play the violin as a. Um, I mean, she knew I was, you know, I'd, I'd been playing since I was four. And so she knew that if I was good, good enough at, I, I think the level I was at when I was 15, uh, if she thought that that was good enough, right. Then I certainly haven't like atrophied much. I, I might it could be, happen. Yeah. it could happen though. If you, if you, well, still play the violin. Yeah. So she checked, she checked. I, we did go over to her place and demonstrate what we were going to do, gotcha. uh, in advance of like a month before it happened. Yeah. Don't take chances with your wedding yeah. listeners. Yeah, it worked, and it worked out fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, I'm a trustworthy person. I wouldn't be like, oh, let's give me that sweet, sweet friend violin wedding money. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really – what a nice thing. I'm glad I asked that question because it's such a cool thing that you're playing the violin with your girlfriend who you kind of met because you both play the violin at someone else's – a friend's wedding. Yeah, and I don't know if I told you this, that uh, she – so she's been a musician her whole life and, you know, is a – a teacher teaches violin and uh, plays it in bands and things. And but since she went to music school, she's dated a number of musicians. Like she's been around musicians a lot. Mm-hmm. She said none of them had ever written her a song. Like no, you know, she's people who write songs for a living for their passion. Nobody that she'd been dating, you know, for years had ever written her a song. Until when she told me that, I was actually already in the process. This was like a, within a month of her birthday, and a thing that I had been doing was like writing her little sort of like. Rap, rap like, you know, but poems that, you know, you've heard of freestyle rapping. Yeah, sort of. But I don't know. I don't. How is that different from just rap rapping? Freestyling is uh, it's the difference between doing a prepared stand up bit and riffing. It's in the moment off the top of your head. But even when you're ripping, riffing, even when you're riffing, you might actually insert a phrase or something that you had from your scrapbook. You might. You definitely might. And the same thing with – there are some people who go to freestyle, sometimes battles or freestyle performances mm-hmm. with – like they're not planning on something to say. But they're like, oh, if somebody insults me like this, then I will come back at them like this. But the same way that sometimes on stage there are genuine moments of magic. Like the thing before when I said OPP and, and then you said naughty and like that was yeah. – couldn't, couldn't be planned. It, it was just a fortuitous coming together. Uh, that You fr- would be remiss if you didn't make that joke. Exactly. Yeah. And so similarly, like, there are words that rhyme with each other. If in a, in a freestyle you stumble upon ones that you have rhymed before, that's not against the rules. Like, you shouldn't – the ideal is to not – is to just be in the moment, to be present, to mm-hmm. be reacting to what's happening. Like, especially if somebody is bringing – like, you know, in a, in a crowd work interaction, like, somebody might say something that you've never heard. And they're like, you'll respond honestly and then hopefully try to construct something funny on top of that. Yes. Uh, yeah, and the same it. way when you're rhyming in a freestyle battle situation, somebody comes at you with something. If you've never heard it before, then you, you just have to give, work with what you're given. Got it. 
And so what I sent, I, I was on tour for about three weeks and every morning and still every morning that I'm not with my girlfriend, cause she lives in LA and I live in New York right now. Um, I wake up and one of the first things that I do is I send her an email with in the form of a what I'm told is a key style, which is a keyboard freestyle. So it's not just constant writing, not all stream of consciousness, but it's like I'll start somewhere and then just write rhymes uh, and like try to tell a story usually about her and how I feel about her, but also might have like the other day she had a flat tire. So I just started with tire iron and then went from there rhyming and talking about, you know, my Whatever came out, whatever came out of it, and so They're like uh, it's like a song lyric poem type of a thing. Exactly, and she li- and she, she'll write back and say, "Here, I like I like these phrases especially." Like she appreciates them all, mm-hmm. but then for all the ones for the first twelve that I sent her, because um, twelve is her favorite number, and her birthday was on the twelfth of September, I took her favorite parts of them, and then I set them to music, and I recorded. Uh, songs made out of those lyrics actually made them song lyrics and so i wrote her 12 songs that total about i think i made it total exactly 12 minutes so some of them are a couple minutes some of them are only 30 seconds Mm -hmm. but uh i did that and then for my birthday a month later she took a song of mine that she liked from like that i wrote 20 years ago almost probably like yeah somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago that i had played her once and then I had given her, I had recorded it 20, like about 18 years ago. Uh-huh. And I gave her that recording. She loves the song. She recorded her own version of it on her own instruments, singing, and did it better. Like, and she, she gave me that for my birthday. You guys are leading a very romantic kind of relationship. I don't know if we're going to be able to keep it up. <laughs> well, I, can, I think you should get married soon because once, this, <laughs> once the pace goes downhill, you want to have locked in. That's true. Thing. Though she is neither neither of us. She definitely is not a marriage person. She's twenty four. That's she, true. She shouldn't even get married. Oh yeah, no, she definitely. Like, no. That's what I mean. I honestly also like. I don't think that marriage needn't be a, the kind of thing that like. Oh, good thing now we're boring. You can't leave. No, like, I just I yeah. meant that as a joke. Of yeah, course, absolutely. of course, absolutely. But I think there are so many people that do see. At least, you know, before you get there, before you get to marriage, like, they think of, you know, the wedding as the end point. You know, they're like, we get to the wedding, and the wedding's the, the most important day, the biggest day. That, and I think when people think about it rationally, that's not obviously not the case. Like, the, the rest of your life can't be all downhill from the wedding. Like, the wedding's so good because you're excited about spending the rest of your life enjoying yeah, being yes, with this person. Yes. Yes, but the day-to-day, the day-to-day kind of handling and working out the details of having this partner in your life can can kind of – that part is not the romantic part once you get going. So there can be – but, yeah, you don't want to think of your – like people talk about, oh, he's a great catch, as if you're going to catch yeah. this part. Like you, now that I caught you, I'm going to put you in a cage. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to feed you the cheapest meat I can find. Legitimately, I I love the idea. Like, I don't know what I don't know what I'll get her for her birthday. You know, next year. Like mm-hmm. this year, it was twelve songs, average of a minute each. Maybe next year it'll be. It could be one. Maybe maybe that'll do. I'll do thirteen songs. That'll be. Uh, and like set a pace for myself instead of doing like twenty four next year. Then yeah, oh, you don't want to double. You don't want to go. 
uh, exponential. That's... But I and I was thinking another thing that I could do, and she might listen to this. So now, you know, if she listens, uh, then I might change it. But I was thinking instead of twelve songs based on lyrics that she'd already seen, twelve brand new songs, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe like ones that I put even more because that I think I made it uh, within a couple within a couple months. You know. A mixtape would be a step backward. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. you can't. Here's do some that. songs I like. It's no. too late to do that. Even you yeah. should have. You should. That could have been a move, but you jumped so far past that. Oh yeah, you yeah. are definitely right. Ooh, I could do a mixtape. You're thing writing where, or yeah. a poem song thing every day. And honestly, here's the thing, though. The reason, one reason that I love doing it, is it sort of goes back to the will you, will you pay money for this? And the ultimate message of it is like, obviously, this is not for money. This is. For her, for her response, for her enjoyment, but also for me because I want to become a better writer, a better yes. rhymer, a better, you know, just creator of whatever this is. Like I want to – it makes my brain feel good to do these things. Well, it's a creative exercise and also you're generating this material, which is a kind of a horrible, you know – Oh, yeah. In disinfected way of describing yes. these little pieces of art that you're making, but you're generating. I'm generating these, a lot of content. You're generating these little pieces of art that then might have morsels that you can use. Oh, there could be jokes in them. There in can be your stand-up, yeah. or or at the very least, you're opening up a tap that you hope now will flow more freely when you're when you're using it later. Definitely. And the other thing that I've started doing, in addition to sending that to her, is I've been going back through my. I have a file called All Jokes, or all of the, I think it's called All Jokes, and it's all of my jokes, every joke that I've put into the computer over the past probably 10, 12 years. And is it just a, like a Word document or something? It's a, at this point, 580 page Word document. So, so, but it's not, it's, you could search it by text, but it's in a, it's in the, like chronological, you write them and you stick them in there. Yes. And And I start, so the top is the most recent. So I've started at the bottom with, you know, 10, 10, 11, 12 years ago, and I'm going, working my way back through it, and every morning I send her that I'm not with her or any time that I want to, but no more mm-hmm. than once a day, I will send anywhere between 10 and 20 either ideas, snippets, things that I had, I had either forgotten about or not used. Or I'm like, oh, there's something to this that maybe audiences didn't love or maybe I didn't fully explore, but... Uh, I go back through it, and I'm like, I think she'll enjoy it. I'm like, I think you'll enjoy this kind of thing. I'll send her 10 of those. She'll tell me which ones she likes. I'll decide which ones I like. Uh, I maybe will tweet it or put it on Facebook or mm-hmm. maybe think about working it back into things if I never did. Re- These are mostly things that I that didn't end up getting recorded. But they, uh, but you did them on stage. Oh, yeah. I did, I did them on stage, yeah. and they either you know just didn't make the, the album. So you're using your back catalog to generate romance. Yes. And more and more of a front catalog potentially. Yeah, wow. You uh, now this between this and the Zach Sherwin rap <laughs> song. I mean, I feel like I've got my work cut out for me. I mean, I feel like you've you before we started. You said you're in a you're in a, a content creative place. I am in a yeah. good creative place, and I do feel like I'm coming up with new stuff. But but I like this idea, and it's always been um, kind of an aspiration to become more disciplined. In the way, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't feel like discipline because you're doing something that you want to do, but to just be going out and doing that every day as a habit yeah. is really, is really great. Yeah. It, I lo- it's, it's an enjoyable thing. You know, some of there's every once in a while we have these things that we think of as tasks. Like if I don't, I don't sit down to write every day and I think we've talked about that, but like I mostly for my writing my own comedy, 
I just carry a recorder around and then I listen to my old sets or the sets that I did recently and I come up with, you know, oh, a new thing that I said and then mm-hmm. uh, build off of that as opposed to, you know, some people that we know sit down and write for hours or an hour a day or two hours a day. Right, right. And like I – and when I do that, when I – you know, I've tried that as well and – but the idea of it being like – it seems like a task going into it. But then when you get into it, you're like, oh, I'm enjoying this. Like this isn't even that. This is even like, oh – Oh yeah, I haven't done this yet today. I'm going to do this. This will be a worthwhile time. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. I enjoy the anticipation of it, and I enjoy doing it. And if I didn't, if there was too much not enjoying it, then I wouldn't do it. Then you would stop doing it. Yeah. yeah. If it's not fun, don't do it. Yeah. I mean, unless there is, unless there's so many results being accrued from it. Well, right, right. I mean, we're lucky, though, in the, in that sense that our job is fun. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think people become comedians because it's like, oh, yeah, this was the easiest thing for me to do. And so I my just career go. counselor in, in high school told me that I, I should. It, and that's when it goes bad is when you see guys that, you know, you've been doing it too long when you're going up. there just grinding out your your act. You oh, know? yeah. But I, I think that's one of the fun things about this job is that uh, we're doing it because it's fun. Yeah. And, I mean, back to the question of what you, you know, what the audience is owed versus what you, you know, what you want to do yourself. I think there are people who, you know, I, I've talked about, like, Louis versus Seinfeld and the way that they, they talked on – have you seen that Talking Funny special nope. that they did? No, I didn't. The, so there's an HBO hour just I, they just put it. I think I don't know. If Ricky Ricky Gervais, Chris Rock, Seinfeld, and Louis had I heard a con- about it, but I had a conversation for an hour. One of the things that was most noteworthy to me was that you know they were talking about like Seinfeld was like Louis. I could never do what you do. Put out a brand new hour every year, every two years, whatever it is. And I think he asked Seinfeld, "How often do you turn over material?" And Seinfeld said, "Maybe like fifteen to twenty percent a year." But that Seinfeld is constantly like you know ever since he did comedian. You know, maybe like 1999, threw out his old act completely. And then from then has been building up and has been, you know, he'll take something out. He'll put something new in. But if, if you saw Seinfeld every year, you would see from year to year, 80% at least the same show is right. what I am right. to understand. And I resonate a lot more with the, you know, and I think when we, you know, we last spoke with Tommy Jonigan when you guys were both on my podcast, Tommy is a guy who has a super worth work ethic and turns over material a lot, but also really cares about the audience because I remember talking to him about the fact that uh, he's like, you know, I'm not – he's like – I think he said he never retired material. Like if he – at any point, he's like, I want to put on the best show full of the stuff that I'm excited about but also is like the most appropriate for a specific, you know, night or audience or venue. You know, he cares about generating new stuff. Right, right. But also, you know, thinks a lot about – he's like, oh, I'm not going to not do this joke because I already did it. Well, I don't not do – if I mean, if a moment happens, like when you're talking about like a spontaneous moment or I get off on a tangent where I can remember something that's not part of the current thing that I'm doing but, but would sort of fit in. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes that happens with me is I'll cannibalize some tidbits of something that I used to do and then kind of they'll work in yes. some new way into the transformer thing of my new act. Of course. So that happens. But I do feel like if it, once it's been, I think Tommy also hasn't been doing comedy quite as long. I mean, eventually I think you get to the point where it's been so long. You can't remember the everything. last yeah. time you did those jokes that they're not retired, but they just, they don't, you don't, they're, they don't, you don't have access to them really in the same yeah. way. So I, there's this back to the, the Louis Seinfeld thing. I made this connection of, uh, there's a thing called rapid prototyping, I think, which 
the word doesn't matter, but here's the experiment that was done. A pottery class was divided mm-hmm. into two. And I don't know, I should look it up how long the time frame was, but over a certain time frame, whether it was a day, a week, a month, uh, half the class was told, spend all of this time, here's your, here's your deadline, make the best pot that you can. Spend all your time on one pot. Which is like Seinfeld. Everybody in the class. Everybody in this half of the class. Mm -hmm. And then the other half of the class was told, in that same time frame, make as many pots as you can. Do, like, just make as many, like, so then they went off and did it. And obviously, the people who were making as many as possible, their first ones, were awful. Like, they were not spending a lot of time on it. They didn't know what they were doing. They Mm -hmm. weren't, they were just told, got to make as many as possible. But then, at some point in the time... Like they started then consistent by the end of it, they were consistently making pots that were better than the one best one that the other half of the class could make. Like, because they got so good at making pots, they got, they're just, it didn't even matter. Like they weren't so focused on one pot right, right. Uh, that they just became great potters. And I feel like that's what Louis essentially has been doing. You know, he figured out his way and that that's the thing that I aspire to, that to hopefully Somebody asked me recently, like, oh, do you like the stuff that you're doing now better than the stuff you were doing, you know, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago? And I kind of don't even really have an answer for it. Like, I like the way that I'm doing things now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't need to – I'm like, there's certainly jokes that I love that I wrote a few years ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, if I hadn't written that then and I wrote it now, I would be excited about it. Like, I remember every once in a while – like somebody was like, oh, what's – somebody told me you had a good joke about this. And I was like, oh, yeah. It went like – and you know, in my head, I'm like, yeah, that's how this joke goes. And they're like, oh, that's great. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, right. I wrote it and it was good and people liked yeah, it. Yeah. And then not that I got over it, but I just – you know, you hear a word so many times and it loses meaning. You tell a joke enough times, you're not going to have the exact excitement that you had when you first discovered it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I am always excited to be constantly discovering new things and – uh, to fully answer your question about what the audience is owed, I think the audience's expectation is part of it. Because some comedian, some people come to see a show because they have seen you before and they want to see what you've come up with that's new, even if it's not perfect. Right. And right. some people come to a show with their friends and be like, I hope he does this one. You know, I hope he does the hits. I, I, think, it, I think it's kind of a, a mix, at least, at least I think with with my crowd oh, where yeah. I, I mean i'm turning over and generating new material not not as fast as as louis uh, when he's at his a new hour every year but i also kind of feel like sometimes it takes a little more than a year even if you came up with a whole hour at the beginning of the year and did it for the year oh yeah sometimes it can take longer than that for the for the thing to get fully tweaked and to marinate and byzantine intricate Oh yeah, you know the little tidbits are all added on, and it's all working out great. But uh, so, and I'm and I'm not throwing out the whole thing and trying to do a new thing because right. I'm not doing shorter sets in New York where I can work on this part and that part and then hook them together later. You're doing more I'm like going on the yeah. road, and that's where I'm. So I'm doing my fifty minutes to an hour, and then every year there's maybe twenty to thirty minutes new, and then to you know, it cycles around like that. So, so when you come, you may get to bring your friend that you saw it last year and you brought your friend and you want him to see or her to see a thing that you did. And maybe you get to see that. Maybe you don't, but then hopefully you also get some new stuff. You know? Yeah. I think like I saw Brian Regan three times at the comedy connection in Boston when I was starting out. Uh, you, you performed there, right? When it was yes, sure. Uh, and I remember the first time, like I just found out who he was and I was so excited and I saw it and it was amazing. And the second time it was about maybe half of the same stuff 
and it was good, but there were people also yelling at him to do specific he things. He has people calling out for his greatest hits and stuff. And yeah. now, I mean, I think he does a wonderful thing that, as I understand, he'll do his new hour and then for his encore just be a jukebox as yeah. much as he can. Uh, so that people do get the be- – if they wanted to see that, then mm-hmm. they can. If they didn't, they can leave. Yeah. Uh, so he's got his relationship with his audience. So, yeah, I think you're right. I so, think you're right. It, it kind of – it's your relationship with your audience, whatever that is, on the given night when you're there. And even more so, like – and hopefully the audience gets it. Like I actually got into uh, a weird debate with a guy. Like a couple of years ago, the, the, the New York Times uh, has a, a comedy – cover uh, a, a comedy reporter a reporter who covers comedy mm-hmm. uh named jason xenoman yeah uh and he followed me around for a month and like uh not every night but i would send him sets and i would send him notes and he wrote a piece about the the anatomy of a joke or the the etymology like the evolution of a joke is what it was called i think mm-hmm. and so for like a month i i started i did like 20 minutes of pretty brand new stuff at like one show and then from there, like some of it was horrible and some of it had promise and the stuff that had promise, I follow, I kept trying at, you know, new places around New York or different places mm-hmm. around New York for a month until the end of the month. Or it was, we didn't set it out to be a month, but it turned out a month was pretty good for one joke to sort of grow and like go through all these different layers. And uh, part of what I was doing was, you know, I had ideas and then I would riff on them and then see what happened every night. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody... And the article turned out great, I think, and it sort of it faithfully represented, you know, a, a facet of the process that that goes on for me. And a guy read it and didn't. He was like, "Hey, that's not the way to do comedy. That you sh- <laughs> you should." Uh, and he's a comedy writer and has done stand up, but he's mm-hmm. like more of a you know more symphony than jazz improviser. He's like you know write it out how you want it to go perform it to the audience don't don't be workshopping it on them and i think most people like if you want to do that of course do that have, bring it bring as polished a product yeah, as you there's more it's your relationship with your audience on that given night yeah. and he was he was so like steadfast in his views that even when i would say like so louis you know louis famously for a time at least would say like i won't write it down i won't like plan anything other than oh, i want to talk about this topic and then he's because he said like writing it would be using a different part of the brain than talking and he's like i want it to come out the way that it does for the first time talking mm-hmm. and so he would like think about it th- like okay that's what i'm going to talk about go on stage that night and talk about it not even not plan what he's going to say for the beginning obviously as the hour gets closer and closer to being recorded, like he ha- he knows exactly what he's going to say, right? And it gets sure. into shape. Uh, but I was like, Louis has an audience that if he's like, hey, I'm going to come to the Bell House in Brooklyn and do three shows, like where I'm just trying out new stuff for you know, I don't know how much you know. He's not going to charge the forty five dollars that it would for a theater show, yeah, five, ten, fifty, whatever it is, some reasonable, pr- and then people are excited to see that. And so as opposed to if you, if you were like, oh, I'm going to charge $100 and do the same thing, then that wouldn't be the thing to do. People would be potentially disappointed. But this guy was like, I, I don't think that that's good. I don't think even – but I'm like, if the audience wants it, if the audience knows what they're getting and they're excited about it and they're – yeah. Well, yeah, to go – but it is really about your relationship with that audience yes. on that night based on who you are and who they are. Mm-hmm. And you know, just to go back – to the, the Doug Stanhope example, oh, yeah. it's like, look, that's not a wrong way to do it. That's the way he does it. And yeah. even those people who decided to leave on that night who were his fans 
probably felt, who knows how they felt, but I mean, one would hope they felt like, yeah, I really got to see him do his thing. Yes. Yeah, I I remember I, I was on a show with him in San Fran- outside San Francisco at the Throckmorton Theater. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. That's uh, a great spot in Mar- in uh, Mill Valley. Yeah, and uh, it was you know the the audience there was not all for him. Uh, they weren't they weren't all there specifically to see it. They were there to see that you know Tuesday night show. That's a a great show that brings in you know yeah. like sometimes Dana Carvey's there. Sometimes well, no, yeah. those are people who want to see live comedy but don't want to go more than two miles from their house. I mean, and and so. To some extent, they kind of put up with things that they wouldn't otherwise like because it's like, well, he did come here. Yeah, and they and they're an older crowd, mm-hmm. uh, but they're like a liberal, you know, yes, a, a well-off liberal older crowd for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was a satiristas book tour show, uh, and that that Stanhope was headlining, and Mort Saul was in the audience, and I think Mort Saul walked out. Uh, and was heard to say something like, I know they have the right to say whatever they want. <laughs> uh, and it's so interesting because, I mean, Mort Saul was like kind of – I mean, he's not – to say he was the Stanhope of his day. But, you know, as far as like scope goes, like there's something. Like, he was, a, you know, a political envelope sure. pusher. Uh, but, you know, we all, we all have our tastes. We all have what we want. Well, and sometimes it's not even your taste. Sometimes it's just like, wow, he, that guy, he just pushed – that is a button for me. Yeah. And when someone pushes that button, I leave. And it's, it's interesting. I, mean, I feel like for me, like there are people who I, I've listened, you know, I've, I listen to tons of comedians and I see tons of comedians. Um, and I don't usually go to a show. If I was going to pay to see a show, I'll generally know what that show is or is capable of being. Well, which is, a, which is a, I think, good advice to people who are going to see comedy because I think yeah. a lot of people think, oh, I like to laugh. I like comedy. And they, they don't realize, oh, you, I like the comedy that I like. I think, yeah. I think you Stanhope know, you, himself has said he is a certain type. If, he's like, if comedy was porn, he's like, I'm the type where the girl dies in the end. Like, he's like, we all like porn, you know? <laughs> yeah. But he, I, I, I wouldn't be that hard on. Oh, uh, no. As hard as he is on, on himself. But I would say, like, you wouldn't go to see, you wouldn't go to see, like, I like music. So I'm going to exactly. go see this music. It's like, boy, music is a pretty broad category. Yeah. And I think comedy now more than ever is, is a pretty broad category. Absolutely. And I, I think that, yeah, people, there's no shoulds, but I, I certainly recommend Instead of just going to see a comedy show, because I, I think I, I headlined the Hartford Phony Bone uh, sometime in the past year or two mm-hmm. and had a number of uh, shows that I really enjoyed. I think they were all – I liked all the shows. I, I had a great mm-hmm. time. But there was like one of the Saturday night shows that had more people that were just out for date night that didn't know who I was, that didn't care, that like – now at this point they're like they feel they feel entitled like it was after the show like a drunk woman come up, came up to me like as I was selling CDs and I was I sold the most CDs of the weekend at that show so it was like a successful show I did what I wanted to do yeah yep. most people enjoyed it and this woman was just like you were awful and I was like oh because um, she was coming up to me before she got out that thing I was like oh a person buying a CD a fan she enjoyed the show it was a good show no. you were awful and i was like oh and i might be i don't even remember this exactly now because she might not have said that exactly but if she said that then i was like oh you are awful like you're being awful like that's not the way to be you know it's sort of an awful thing to yeah. say I, yeah i and nowadays i i'd say a couple things to people about live entertainment i think live entertainment is so much better 
than watching things on your television. Yes. And that going to see a live comedy show is so much better than watching even your favorite comic on TV. But you don't know who all the best comics are. You no. people who are listening to this because you have a job. You have your own life. life. Yeah. And so if you only go to people who you've already heard of, you're missing out on a lot of great stuff. So what you, my advice would be is see who's playing at the comedy club on the night when you want to go out and then go on Google. Watch a clip. Watch a couple of clips. You can get a pretty good idea in less than five, ten minutes whether or not you like it. And oh, if yeah. It, and if you like it on YouTube, you're going to love it in the comedy club. Oh, yeah. And then also... If someone is going to take you to a comedy show or someone says, let's just go see this, don't go unless you've gone on YouTube and liked it. And that's this lady could have easily saved herself whatever kind of experience she felt you were responsible for by just watching you for 10 minutes on YouTube. And she oh, would yeah. realize like, oh, this is not, not for me, for me. Nobody's for everybody. And I think I saw I think in the interaction, the interaction went for like, you know, a minute or two. And she was like, I just didn't know what it was going to be. And I was like, well, you can definitely avoid that in the future. Like I, I pointed out, like you can – this – I was going to be who I am. Well, that's – and that's how I feel too if people ever have that – I mean most people are not quite that rude to come oh, no. up to you and say that. But, no, no. But it's like, look, you're, in, you're entitled to your opinion. But from my point of view, it's like I did the best at what I can do. Yeah. You know, I did the best of what I do. I went on stage and I did – my good show. I didn't hold anything back or deliberately make this a bad night for oh, you. Yeah. You, you just have to know that for you, I'm not me. You know, I'm not for you. And I didn't. Yeah. If anyone made a mistake, it's not me. I was hired to come here and paid to be here to do exactly what I did. And you paid money. Like you, you know, if, if anyone made a mistake, it's you. I feel like. Right. Not to be, I mean, not to, not to turn the tables and be a jerk about it, but that is true. It's like, look, yeah. you, it, you was well within your ability to see what you were getting into before you got into it. And you should have done that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I choose to focus on the positive as much as possible. Like, I think if you don't like something, like if you don't like something online, just watch something else, do something else. Don't spend time like. But if you like something online, find out where you can go see it live. Oh, definitely. And try and give it a kiss after. Absolutely. Uh, super. I mean, maybe not right away. <laughs> maybe write a song about it. Absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah. Everybody can create something. Yeah. And that's the thing I was going to say to you when you were getting, you know, not faux jealous, you know, the, the kind of the positive, like potentially I, when I feel that way, like, you know, you see like somebody like Reggie Watts perform who I recommend oh, anybody Reggie see live. Watts. If you don't know who Reggie Watts is and you're listening to this, as soon as you stop listening to this, start Googling because you cannot believe this guy. He's invented a whole yeah, he's, musical comedy thing. Yeah, he is. I mean, if, if the word like I don't want to. Yeah, even he sort of defies categorization of performance art, music, comedy, um, and like so. Seeing him and being like, "Wow, I I don't do that." Like, what can I do that is like as much me as that is him? As I'd like to be more like a meteor. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's not even a thing that we can do. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, like uh, yeah, a shooting star flies across the sky. Like, how do I do that? Like, yeah. I guess I'll write a song. Yeah. Like, I mean, but we can all, you know. If you if you have the capacity to write or type, use language, like you mm -hmm. can be a poet, you can be a musician of a sort. You can, you know, we all use our voices in the way that we can. Uh, and uh, you know, if you're inspired to do something.
something, then do it. And most of the time, you don't even have to share it until you're, you think it's ready or ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just a creating is I, – I almost – I don't really understand when people – when I'm like, oh, what do you – you know, not like what do you do for work, but like what do you enjoy – what do you enjoy doing? Like if you could get paid to do anything, I usually ask people, if somebody was like, I'll fund your life, what – what thing would you do? What creative thing would you do? Like, would you do a creative thing? Some people would just travel. Some people would play sports. Some people... Some people don't even know how to a- answer that question because they're so... Their lives that they're leading are so far away from what they want to do that they haven't even... You know, it would be hurtful for them to even think about what they want to do because then... I mean, they just don't even know what it is. Sure. I mean, but I, I do think that... Like if I, if somebody's coming to a comedy, I mean, I don't know in the situation I'm trying to imagine when I'm talking to somebody like this, like if they have a job that, you know, they're not, their head's not underwater. They're not struggling. They're, they're just, they're living mm-hmm. their life, but they're like, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know what I would do. I'm like, well, if you, if you think of it, then you can at least do, you know, you don't have to do it. You don't have to pursue it. Like everybody doesn't have to be a professional artist, comedian, musician, dancer, glass blower, but there's always, there's, you can do Anything like in your life, in your spare time, in your, you know, you could do some fun version of the thing that you love when you're not doing whatever it is you're doing to pay your bills. Yes. Recommended. I mean, and if that thing is have a family, then, then great. Have that family. And if the thing is, uh, do exactly what you're doing, then also great. Um, I just want people to be as happy and fulfilled as possible. Me too. I feel like this friendship has taken off. Oh, yeah. Don't you? I Absolutely. mean, we're taking it to the next level. Definitely. Okay. I'm at your house. Yeah, you are. I'm going to take you downstairs and introduce you to my wife now. Let's do it. And then the next step after that, maybe as we go out to dinner with our significant others. Oh, that something. sounds great. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I'm looking forward to it. It's on the horizon. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you, Jake. Oh, Wish. let's high five because people can hear it. All right. Nice. Well, that's that's it, ladies and gentlemen. A lovely afternoon with Mike Kaplan. I had a great time. He's a nice guy. He's been to my house, ladies and gentlemen. As I said a long time ago about this podcast, it gives you a little bit of an idea about what it's like to be my friend, because I want you. I want us to be friends of a sort, of a sort. I want us to be friends. I want us to be the kind of friends that get together when I come to town um, or get together when you come to town on occasion. How about that? So uh, don't forget to check the Internet for my whereabouts and environs. I am part of the All Things Comedy Podcast Network. As I've said before, I'm not sure what it means, but there's a lot of great podcasts there. If you go check them out, check out Tom Rhodes, check out Jackie Cation, check them all out, and then get back to me on it. Uh, do not give up. That is job number one. Not really job number one. Do what you do and rock it and own it. And then if, if that's not going so well, don't give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. I love you. Bye-bye. Take this.